We'd like to do another disclaimer, this time for discussion and depiction of suicide, which comes up during this play. Uh, Is there anything else? Nope. Cool. That was so official. You sound like crisp and clear. Hi, I'm Olivia. And I'm Jay. And welcome to Highbrow Theater. A podcast where we analyze plays. So you don't have to. Do I sound like a flight attendant right now? A little bit, but that's charming. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where it's coming from or what it means. Um, Maybe we'll figure it out in talking. So how are you doing? How have you doing? That's what I just said. I said, how have you doing? (laughs) Okay, do you want to try again? (laughs) How are you doing? Oh, I am doing pretty good. I got my Crocs on. uh, Got my water. They're green, aren't they? No. They're not green? (laughs) No, the official color is cantaloupe. Oh, okay. You know what? That would have been my second guess. Oh, I know. It's tip of the tongue. (laughs) touches the teeth or whatever it was it was one of those like tropical like melony colors that i knew you would pick because that oh, just goes with, it goes with your yeah. aesthetic honeydew perhaps yeah like a like a sweet coral Ooh, I'm very cool san tropez very san tropez <laughs> love you for you you know that jiggly caliente says that in an episode of drag race oh really coral like thing she's making and she's like oh, it's coral very Saint-Tropez can I tell you something what? I, made a, I made a joke about that moment right after you said it the first time and then you were like oh, then I oh did you know you. that because <laughs> yeah. on her boat she like in stickers put love you for you oh <laughs> oh my god I should never underestimate that you know something about drag race what can I say? That's my That's the uh, dumbest thing to do. I would literally text you. I, re- I don't know how much of this we're keeping, but I recently yeah. watched a lot of Drag Race and I would text Jay about a very specific moment and he would always know exactly what I was talking about. <laughs> you could be like, season five, episode four, minute 13, seconds 56. And be like, oh, the time Roxy said thick and juicy. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually a RuPaul's Drag Race podcast. Psych, we wanted to reel you in, and now we're changing it up. Now we're going to talk about ready. Can we, can we say in unison again? Probably not, but we can Probably try. not. Ready? Three, two, one. Death, Death of a salesman. salesman. It probably sounds at the same time to us, but in the recording, there's like a little delay. Yeah, well, yeah. That's <laughs> we okay. always account for that. Bro. Right, they we, were, we were just harmonizing. Yeah. What, um, you want to tell us a little bit about Mr. Arthur Miller? I believe it's Millet, because French origins. I know, I just, I just made that up. One Mr. Arthur Miller, his life is crazy. The craziest, he was born on October 17th <laughs> in 1915, so he's a Libra. That's another Libra. I know. Tony, Tony Kushner's a Libra. I haven't quite thought about the parallels between this and angels in america but uh oh i think they're actually very similar you're right they take place in america they take I... they're both commenting on the state of america oh yeah at the time actually really similar one's just more i guess overt perhaps <laughs> yeah but i think they're they're both wrestling with and i want to talk about this later like macro versus micro again because people always say like this play is about they're like, oh, it's about the death of the American dream. And it is about that. But something I hate when people do is they'll be like, oh, this play is everything in this play is a metaphor for the death of the American dream. When like 
the death of the American dream is actually something that's intensely personal. Mm -hmm. So these characters are dealing with like really, really tough interpersonal stuff that again is really like related to this. It's not just like a systemic thing. It's systemic and it's also personal. And I feel like people are like, Oh, it's a metaphor. And it's like, it is, but it's also about, it's also about, you know, like the nitty gritty details, you know? I do. And speaking of the nitty gritty details, he was born oh in. God, I just derailed for so long. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. It's funny. Um, I mean, no, no, no. It was like really serious, but it was funny that I'll get into it later and then you go into it. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. Okay. So he was born in Harlem, New York City, to Polish and Jewish immigrants, which. Uh, Nope, never mind. So, <laughs> don't make a joke about it. I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm sorry. Okay. His father was named Isidore. He owned a coat manufacturing company, which was very successful, which I think parallels the uh, Willie's life. His mother, Augusta, was an educator and she loved reading novels. So, I think that was also an effect on more of his career path. You know, the capital of Maine was actually named after her, fun fact. Named after this lady? Yeah, Augusta, Maine. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Augusta, Maine. <laughs> uh, but also, uh, it actually wasn't. But wouldn't that be cool if it was? <laughs> uh, that was such a mean thing to do to me. Right no, I gotta stop lying. Okay, it's almost pathological at this point. Well, I mean, technically we majored in lying, so like, <laughs> fine. I'm a great liar. I'm actually not, and I actually hate when people think say that about actors. They're like, "Oh, well, you must be a great." I'm actually a horrible liar because lying affects your real life. That is true. <laughs> the real <laughs> world consequences. Yeah. Whereas saying things on a stage in in a funny skirt um, does not affect your real life, <laughs> and that's the one that I said. But you have to be wearing a funny skirt for it not to affect your real life. <laughs> Right, that's always why I write plays about girls wearing funny skirts. <laughs> you really do. Uh, yeah. I really do. <laughs> this family. Um, check out my new. <laughs> what? <laughs> I said, check out my new play exchange. <laughs> Monet exchange. They were quite a wealthy family, but they lost most of their earnings to the Great Depression. So they had to move to Brooklyn, which brings up a question. Do you think there are borough politics? Like absolutely, how when they historically there are oh yeah like, because they were like affluent in Manhattan and then they lost all their right. money and now it's Brooklyn time yeah and Brooklyn did not used to be like when I was most recently in Brooklyn it was like yuppies and there were like like Mark Jacobs stores and stuff and it did not used to be like that and we can talk more about gentrification but yep. basically yeah like it used to be that like Brooklyn was bad Manhattan was good because Manhattan was rich. C'est la vie, unfortunately. Yeah, and that goes with all the rest of the... They all have politics, and it's really interesting to hear New Yorkers, like, talk about it. Because they'll be like, oh, he's from Staten Island. Oh. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm literally from Ohio. Okay, but also, I think that you could, like, put it to use and like, what's a... Oh, they're from Clintonville. I don't... <laughs> I don't know Columbus suburbs, but... I mean, there are there are politics in Columbus suburbs as well. Speaking of uh, Columbus, kind of, he was able to attend the University of Michigan after working a few odd jobs to save money. And I like that we're 
not even going to elaborate on that. Too. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you better figure it out why we don't like that in school. <laughs> he was able to attend the University of Michigan uh, after working a few odd jobs to save money. And uh, we'd have to do like 16 odd jobs now. If, if you're like working to pay through school, you it would literally there would not be enough time in the day. Is it 24 hours, <laughs> 1,440 minutes? Um, Beyonce has the same amount of hours in a day as you do, so why are you Beyonce? Her. Okay, but also she's married to Jay Z, so yeah, also she's prettier than me, <laughs> she can do anything. She uses her hours of the day to be prettier than everyone. Yeah. So speaking of other artists, uh, he wrote his first play in college. It was called No Villain, which won him the school's Avery Hopwood Award, which doubled as a scholarship. So that helped him pay for school also. Oh, that's cool. You know, I wrote my first play in college and I won no awards. So... So send hate mail to <laughs> 137... <laughs> Arthur Miller Drive. Yeah. How did you do it, Arthur? <laughs> Just like cut out magazine letters. <laughs> uh, so he moved, <laughs> he moved back home after college at the behest of his professor and playwright Kenneth Rowe, if that name sounds familiar to anyone. So that sounds like a segue into his Broadway career however his love life is so juicy because get into this so he was married to a woman named mary slattery and in 1956 they divorced and a literal month later he married marilyn monroe that's like that's so cool i know but (laughs) it wasn't just like a shack up they marilyn and arthur met at a party in 1951 while Marilyn was dating a man named Elia Kazan, who we will get more into later. Remember that name, this guy, though. This guy knew Marilyn Monroe and fucked her. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's cool. Not... I'm, she's, just, she's the quintessential American sex symbol. And this guy knew her. That's cool. She's an icon. People do be knowing each other, huh? <laughs> yeah. And just like, it's weird to think of like someone like Marilyn Monroe like intimately knew this man and we read all his words oh man history it's bound to repeat itself so hopefully we get another one of these yeah we need another Marilyn. we need another arthur miller is just ivy winters (laughs) 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 i told you this is a drag race podcast (laughs) this is a drag race podcast oh goodness so speaking of sex symbols so jane mansfield a famous maybe not as famous but like maybe a she was up there in the ranks. She starred in a production of Death of a Salesman. And one of her children, Jane Mansfield's children, is Mariska Hargitay, otherwise known as Detective Olivia Benson, a Law & Order SVU. Which I think that's wow. just weird, like, 23 and Me stuff. <laughs> yeah, that is. that doesn't seem like... You know, there are some, like, dynasties of, like, American actresses. <laughs> I can think of, like, families. Well, but, like, where the mother and daughter are both, like, icons. Oh, like, oh my God. Um, okay. Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds, Carrie Fisher and Billy Lord. Oh, I was going to say Judy Garland and Liza Minnelli. Oh, mm-hmm. that's a big, big one. But that I forgot sense. both of their names because I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Anyways, <laughs> he, you know, Norman Mailer, perhaps he uh, called 
Miller and Monroe's marriage, quote, the union of the great American brain and the great American body, which is that sus? <laughs> no, it's like feminism. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, it's definitely sexist. Yeah. Um, and like we just sat here and called her a sex symbol. <laughs> Yeah, which was also sexist, and I'm complicit in that. <laughs> yeah, because fully James Dean was like, hunk, manly man. Like, I think he was also bisexual. Yeah. But, like, a pretty woman is a sex symbol, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was really wrong of us, actually. But it's that's what she is. Like, she became so much more than herself. It is hard to ignore that. that like, people want, think about, like, people want women that look like her. Like, she really changed what it meant to be attractive that is true i love going through history and seeing what was hot <laughs> yeah well if you think about there's people there's like even ancient times there's like helen of troy god we're not even talking about theater i'm sorry keep going <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. i mean kind of we we have tangents it's okay oh another fun fact daniel day lewis married miller's daughter <laughs> rebecca miller rebecca miller wow daniel i hardly know her is hot he is isn't he also retired yeah he's retired but he's mostly just a really hot old guy sex symbol he's a sex symbol <laughs> yeah they're both him and Marilyn Monroe are both sex symbols so it's not sexist <laughs> the two genders are Daniel Day-Lewis and Marilyn Monroe <laughs> Daniel, Daniel Day-Lewis like played Abraham Lincoln <laughs> I know <laughs> and we're sitting here and we're sitting here like salivating <laughs> Anyways, so he had a tepid Broadway start. Arthur Miller did, not Daniel Day-Lewis. His uh, first play was called The Man Who Had All the Luck, and it was met with bad reviews and closed after four performances. And I think that is when irony was invented. <laughs> four? Oh, that's horrible. I know. I would absolutely, like, if I, if I had that opportunity, something that amazing happened to me, and I closed after four performances, I would probably die. Well, I mean, my I'd at least end. cry. That, but... would ruin, that would ruin my life. Or, well, you can take a page out of Miller's book and just keep swimming. That's true. <laughs> I feel like he wasn't a very optimistic guy, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, not at all, actually. Um, so... After that, he wrote another play called Focus that also didn't pop off, if you will. But, however, third time's the charm in this case because his play, All My Sons, ran for the better part of a year and it won him the Tony for Best Author, which was the title. No longer a Tony. Yeah. (laughs) So after All My Sons came Death of a Salesman and he wrote the first act in less than a day. Bullshit. That is what his biography said. Bullshit. I don't believe that. If that's true, then I should just jump into a lake right now. You know, (laughs) we disclaimer the play talking about suicide. (laughs) We didn't disclaimer Olivia thinking about her own. Uh. Oh my god. Okay. Oh, this is more juicy information. So the Broadway debut of Death of a Salesman came under the direction of one Elia Kazan. <gasps> I wait, know. Wait, so this is Marilyn Monroe's ex-husband? Ex-boyfriend? Ex-boyfriend. Interesting. So they allied up. I know, they really did. Maybe they were swingers. I hope so. Why wouldn't they be? She was fucking the president. <laughs> <laughs> You're damn right she was. 
<laughs> Anyways, uh, Ilya Kazan also directed All My Sons, which was on Broadway. But Death of a Salesman debuted on February 10th, 1949 at the Morosco Theater, which I don't know if that Good exists year. anymore. I have no idea either. I don't know anything about anything. Good thing we're doing an informational one. <laughs> so Death of a Salesman won numerous awards, obviously, including the Pulitzer Prize, the Drama Critics Circle Award, and the Tony Award for Best Play, which... Also, it won all six categories it was nominated for, including Best Author. So this was his second time winning a Tony for his scripts. All right. So they actually got rid of next, or they got rid of Best Author, which is kind of sus. Isn't it just Best Book now? Well, Best Book for Musicals, but oh. for Plays, it's just like Best Play, like Best New Play. Oh, well, they better get that. And then the playwright usually accepts yeah. it. Well, the playwright usually accepts it, but that's kind of not fair because like everybody worked on the play. Because... Mm-hmm. That's just one cog. Yeah. I mean, it's like the it, arguably the biggest yeah. one, but I don't know that they should be the only ones who accept them. Anyway, uh, I think playwright supremacy is not good. I'm just saying that. I'm one of you. <laughs> this play has everything. West Coast, East Coast, Alaska, Dan Cortez. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really doesn't. Old. I'm going to laugh every time. It really doesn't. People don't think it'd be like how it is, but it do. So in Arthur Miller's autobiography, he said he wrote the character speech, quote, to lift the experience into emergency speech of an unabashedly open kind rather than to proceed by the crabbed dramatic hints and pretexts of the natural, which I'm not entirely sure what that means, but I'm sure the smart listeners will understand. No, I totally get this. He's saying he's not be he's not letting himself be limited by the way that people actually act exactly. He's letting them because in this play they're so honest with each other in ways that real human beings are not. And it's it's a function of the dramaturgy. Like it means something. So you could write a play that's just the way people really talk and the way people really interact. You would have to do so much like guesswork because there would be no conflict. Well, fuck my drag, right? I was like, I'm stupid, don't get it. And you're like, I totally do. <laughs> Which I mean, that is true, but we're not going to speak like humans actually speak. So, okay. Yes, exactly. So he's also associated with the Crucible because he wrote it. Which, uh, it caused a whole (laughs) host of issues, as you can imagine. The House of Un-American Activities Committee, or HUAC, refused to renew his passport because of the allegorical implications to McCarthyism in the Crucible. And also, kind of, because the HUAC demanded he out people who were active in suspect political activities, and he refused to do so. So he was found in contempt of Congress. Yeah, he was literally a commie. Also, can we talk about how my ex-boyfriend wrote a play about Hugh <laughs> um, Ackerman? Right? Wait, how what? He was like, they were bad Oh my, guys. I know. <laughs> Are we talking about the same one who wrote the where the guy got knocked out and then suddenly he realized that conservatism was the way to go? Yes. We're not going to use that. Um, anyway, I'm not dating him anymore. <laughs> oh, I'm absolutely using that. <laughs> Good God. Okay. I hope he knows what did. We're going to get canceled. <laughs> so the critic. I'm getting canceled by my... <laughs> what? I said, I'm getting canceled by my ex boyfriend. Every, every person who dates you cancels you, technically. 
That's true. Okay, so <laughs> the critic Brooks Atkinson, who loved Salesman, and he also has a theater named after him. I think Waitress was the most recent one. He wrote, quote, he refused to be an informer. He refused to turn his private conscience over to administration by the state. He has accordingly been found in contempt of Congress. That is the measure of the man who has written these high-minded plays. But also the contempt was overturned two years later. Well, that's good. Free him. (laughs) Brooks was like, listen, my mom says, like, you're pretty dumb for a smart guy. I think that's basically what he just said. That is my part. So I'm going to toss this discussion koosh ball to Olivia. I wish we had a real koosh ball. Those are so fun. I know. I can't wait to throw it to you all 20 miles away you are. <laughs> we should, you know, someday when we're able to record this in the same room, um, we should get a real koosh ball. I would sponsor us koosh. I assume that's a brand. Sponsor us koosh. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Okay, sorry, go ahead. So anyway, I will do a synopsis of the play, Death of a Salesman. So Willie Lohman is a traveling salesman in his 60s who lives in a house in Brooklyn with his wife, Linda. He's been doing the same job since he was about 18 years old, and he just spends his time driving up and down New England, selling his stuff. Right now, Willie's sons, 34-year-old Biff and 32-year-old Happy, which is a nickname, it's not his real name, (laughs) are, they're visiting. Biff is coming from out west where he was working as a farmhand and Happy from his apartment in the city. They're in New York. Um, I already said that because Brooklyn, whatever. So Bill... (laughs) (laughs) so biff and willie do not get along because willie sort of like oscillates between putting biff on this like enormous pedestal because biff was like really popular it's good at high school he was a really good football player and he goes between that and like being really disappointed in him for not doing anything with his life because now he's 34 and he doesn't do much and biff doesn't get along with willie because willie does that and it's kind of not fair so as the play goes on, Willie is haunted by people and events of his past. They literally walk in and talk to him and his family is like horrified because they're seeing him react to this, which I felt was like probably a little bit of a nod to like dementia, but we don't need to get into that because this is the 50s and they don't recognize anything like that. <laughs> yeah. But Biff and his father argue and because of this argument, Biff decides to try to go into business with his brother Happy and he's going to borrow some money from this guy who he used to work for. And then while this is happening, Willie gets fired from his job as a traveling salesman, this job that he's had since he was 18 that he's never progressed in, which is really bad because him and his wife really need money right now. They're like paying off their house because they rent or they still have mortgage and they need a bunch of repairs and they have to pay for insurance. And it's like a big thing. And then so Biff goes to his former employer. His former employer does not even remember him and obviously doesn't give him the loan that he wants. So Biff like realizes that he's never going to be the type of man his dad wants him to be. And Biff goes back home and he gets in a huge fight with his dad and he's, you know, trying to make his father understand this and his father doesn't understand. And then Willie continues to speak to these people from his past and he's remembering all these major events like the one that ruined his relationship with Biff, which we'll talk about in a second. And then Willie dies in his garden while planting seeds and then they have a funeral and that's the end of the play. The symbolism is runs yeah the seeds thing i want to talk about yes 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 but it was like in the way he did it though it didn't feel forced oh it's so good i was actually not looking forward to reading this play i thought it was going to be really boring and then i like i like loved it so much (laughs) nuts like (laughs) yeah it's i i cried through quite a bit of it it is very upsetting and very beautifully done 
it's ugh, I've said this probably 600 times on this show. People actually create these things. <laughs> like yeah, he I, if he really made this in less than a day, the first act. Oh, I'm mad. Well, I'm I mean mad. on a similar note, Lady Gaga wrote Born This Way in under 10 minutes. So, I think they're on the same playing field. <laughs> so Actually, actually they kind of are. <laughs> but <laughs> It's just, it's so, it's about, you know, big things. It's about what it, it's like about this particular type of like American existential dread that I feel very much right now. And it's about that, but it's also about family and it's about like, like really personal strife and ambition. It's, oh, it's tackling so many things, I, Jay. It should be the star quarterback. It, this play kind of is in American theater. And I can't believe that I didn't have to read yeah. it ever. I know there were some I'm like no no no. I'm not gonna say that because all plays are valid yes however I think there's a level of iconery that you should probably know your history I guess yeah I agree and I didn't I hadn't read this play I'd read I mean I'd read The Crucible I'd read All My Sons like so I knew Arthur Miller I wasn't like I did not know who he was but yeah I never had to read this and I'm glad I did Indeed. What should we do? Should we talk about themes? Should we talk about characters? Shall we talk about... I'm honestly scared to talk about the characters where it could go. I mean, we're going to do it, but like diving deep into them is making me nauseous. Yeah. But let's get it out of the way. It's a hard play. Let's get out of the way. Let's talk about Willie. That man could probably use a therapist you know though it's like so heartbreaking because like i he's so out of touch with reality that like you can't even like be frustrated with him even it's so it's so sad you look at him and you're like oh my god that guy he's so terrible and sad and then it takes you a while to be like oh me too like you can't make fun of him Oh, I guess takes one to no one, whatever, but No, this play like read oh, it's the kind of play that you read and like afterwards I like I like needed to cheer myself up or I wouldn't be able to like continue my life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was like thinking hard about my life and I was like, no no no, like it's it's such a bleak and cynical look at life, but it sucks because it's true. I know. You just and then I think also what we do, just exactly like him is block it out because we don't want to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it sucks. And speaking of so now we're, if we could talk about Biff, what I think the thesis of the play is, I'm going to start making that a thing on the show, the thesis okay. of the play, because somebody smart told me about that once and I don't remember who it was. <laughs> but <Great. laughs> they were like, look for the thesis of the play. I'm like, I think, I'm, I don't know, I'm a playwriting teacher or something. I don't know. But I think the thesis of this play, maybe, maybe it's, indulgent of me to think that this is the thesis of the play but I do because it's the most hopeful moment in a very hopeless sort of bleak play but it's when Biff has his monologue towards the end where he's talking about like he's like at least I know who I am you know he's like I'm I'm never gonna be I'm never gonna be rich successful businessman that's not me I'm not that man and he like he talks about he's like oh like I remember all the things that I find joy in like the food that I eat people that I see and like my moments alone when I'm drinking coffee and he's like and those are the moments that mean something and it's cool because like when you're talking about the American dream like there are things that are limiting about our lives because of the system we're under and because of you know the circumstances you're born into Mm -hmm. and it's sort of 
sort of hopeful that he's like, you know what, there are things that I can't fix. There are things that I'll never be, but I can enjoy pieces of my life. And that's hard to come to terms with. Um, It's something that I came to terms with after I did shrooms for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) It's called ego death. (laughs) Man, I need one of those. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about Linda. Linda. I think she's, I don't know. So do you think Linda is technically the straight man of this show? How so? I don't know. She seems the most, out of everyone, she seems as chill as you can be in this show. What does that make her the man? No, oh, no, I thought that, like, straight man was, like, a generalized term for the one who grounds it. Oh, (laughs) well, in that case. um... (laughs) She's the heterosexual male of the show. (laughs) No, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I need to think that's true. She's... She's hard, too, though, because she's not totally in, in touch with reality either. But she recognizes that the things that are mo- most important are, like, love and, like, family. Like, she's the one who, she's the one who sees that. Mm-hmm. While everyone around her is sort of caught up with things that don't matter, she's like, no, what matters is the fact that, like, I love you, Lily. Like, that's what, that's why we keep going. You know, it's, she's the one who's yes. the most in touch with, like, with the emotional truth of life. And it seems to conflict with what Willie trying to do too yeah and you know what i noticed too which is that their marriage is different when they're together versus when they're in front of their kids which is such a cool detail yeah 100 percent. because that's obviously true <laughs> like your parents <laughs> yeah. are not parents are not parents and they're not on all the time they're also people and they also have an intimate relationship and yeah it's almost like willie has less to compete with with his wife there yeah so i guess it's also i think about it's about heroes and it's about there's a certain way that men and i don't know that this was i think it actually was conscious on the part of arthur miller because he writes linda very differently but i think it's about the way that men are taught to make heroes of each other um like it's so willie has he's made a hero out of his brother ben He's made a hero out of his young son, who's really impressive, and he's in high school. He's made a hero out of all these people. And then, like, the reality of that person then can never set in because you've made a hero out of them. Mm-hmm. And then it also goes the same way where, like, Biff has made a hero out of Willie. And then when he finds out he's cheating on his mom, he's like, that's destroyed. Like, it's something that men are taught, and it makes it impossible for them to see the complexity of the people they admire. Very don't meet your heroes. Yeah, and I think it's different for women for some reason. I think because men are taught to make heroes out of their peers, and women are not. Women are taught to be jealous. Damn. And that's me talking about, like, obviously, like, gender as an institution. That's not me talking, commenting on, like, people's individual gender, because obviously that fits within a spectrum and it's not binary. But I'm talking about the institution of being a man and the institution of being a woman. And it's also not, like... There's like man with a lowercase m and capital M. This is the yeah. capital. <laughs> this is capital M. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking about the the way that it exists as it's been manufactured by Western specifically society. Yes. Anyway, let's keep going. Who else? Should we talk about any other characters or should we talk about other things about the play? I mean, I think we said a lot. Oh, yeah. wait, wait, wait. Okay. What? Do you think the woman actually exists? Or is she yeah, just like this idea 
of his little bit of freedom and I think I guess what I think is there's like the woman the way he exists in his imagination as like someone who adored him like in his mind their affair was like perfect right oh yeah he's like oh this is the woman that I see and I and I get her stockings and like we have this it's his fantasy right that he has this because it's kind of like for a man who's feels small like having an affair is something cool to do you know because it makes you feel manly so I think that exists I think there also was a woman that he had an affair with and I think she doesn't meet up to this pedestal that he's making like the woman that Biff saw in the hotel room like I don't think that she was this grand idea she was just like a lady he was fucking you know but he made her that it was made a hero yeah but like a different like a sex symbol like a Marilyn Monroe kind of Mm -hmm. hero it all but like comes together this is before they even met it's funny how it just parallels even though they didn't know each other yet you know it just led into itself yeah okay more about the play yeah more about the play do you have anything you want to what were your reactions how did you feel so this i don't know i thought a lot about willie take that as you will but just take that as you willie (laughs) also take that (laughs) that's disgusting (laughs) <laughs> and a sin. So this, he is just, he's an apartment complex. I'll say that because <laughs> he just has so many things going on. Like his contradictions, his hubris. These are all Olivia's words on the outline, but I also agree. Uh, <laughs> and he just. This Willie has everything. Hubris. <laughs> <laughs> Please go on, please. I want to hear it. What what else? <laughs> hubris and what hubris, else? Hubris. Uh contradictions, cyclical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also Dan it's... Cortez. And also Dan Cortez. <laughs> so he just has his contradictions going on, his repetitions, his hubris, and he just I think that really is kind of the downfall of man, like the real in life one that he translated onto stage. I agree. And I think it's amazing if you think about a play like Oedipus, which is like Greek, where it's also like learning from hubris is the most important message of that play. And that play has endured. And like, here we are still. Having hubris. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I tried the ointment, couldn't get it out. Seems, seems I still have hubris, doctor. <laughs> god we're funny (laughs) um but it's just it's this play is cool i think because it speaks to like this collective subconscious of like the things that make us men men with a capital m Mm -hmm. and that's really astonishing and that's that's why this play is a fucking classic because it, it speaks to the core of what it means to be people and it's also about the American dream. Yeah, I know. Tell me about how it's all about. <laughs> all everyone does is talk about how this play is just about the American dream. American dream on. Dig deeper. It is about the American dream, but it's also... The American dream is a pattern of something. It's a pattern of... Yeah. Just... It's a pattern of the way that... The way that people act when they're left to their own devices. Yeah. <laughs> which is not fair. I think it's the roots. And then the tree blooms from all the, like, blooms grows from all the little parts of it that's beautiful thank you i just said i just thought of that right now <laughs> I just <laughs> it's not on the notes <laughs> that's a really this and then so there's there's that so willie is almost like 
he's dealing with that. He's the symbol of that. And then we have Biff. Biff is like how I feel every single day of my life. <laughs> and like, I know I'm younger than Biff. I'm not 34. I'm in my early 20s. But I feel like the pressure that he's feeling with, I already have on me as well of like, who am I? What am I going to do? Like, my life is just starting. Am I going to make worthwhile? Like, am I going to do anything with myself? Like, he's just like watching, you know, he's, he's watching himself age and he's looking back at his parents aging. And he's like realizing, like, realizing like, oh my God, like this is happening. Like I'm living. And what if I'm not great the way that I'm supposed to be? Yeah. That's what happens when you stare in the mirror too long. <laughs> that is what that is. <laughs> You're like, it me. <laughs> Oh my god, but that's like oh my god, you know when you like are at a party and you're like maybe a little crossfaded and you go into the bathroom and it's kind of dark and you're looking at yourself. That is scary. Oh my god, Bly Manor. <laughs> that's that happens in that a little bit. Oh, does yeah. it? I haven't watched that. It's I not what we're talking about is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> um I but a lot of the things in the play are like, even though they are like universal man truths, like Biff, what Biff is dealing with is like a very American Western thing of like viewing life as something that you have to conquer, something that you have to achieve rather than like enjoying it. The little things. Don't sweat the small things, just enjoy them. You know what I mean? Yeah. I also enjoyed the mechanic, I guess, of him altering his own past to, I guess, yeah. make himself look and feel better yeah and it's really oh it's so it's so the way it nails memory (laughs) where like you you think a lot about the really good stuff but then every once in a while you remember the really bad stuff too yeah I also think that goes with the dementia thing because maybe he's really like he's having these dementia flashbacks if that exists and he's seeing the incorrect moments and he's like, ah, mm-hmm. that is what I want, actually. Or yeah. that's maybe that's true to him because that's what he's thinking. Yeah, exactly. I think it is. We're seeing the emotion, the like emotional truths of his life. God damn, I love this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a re- <laughs> there's a reason. It's a really remarkable yeah. piece of work. Whenever I I think I looked up most famous plays three times, and on three different lists, this was number one. Yeah, it's 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 vital. It's really important. Mm-hmm. It's something that's going to endure forever, I think. And I also want to add that the same boyfriend who wrote the play about the Hugh Trials being good, this was his favorite play. <laughs> and I don't understand that. He didn't know he was a communist. Anyway. <laughs> uh, Should we say like two more thoughts? I think so. Do you have one? Uh, I was going to talk about his suicide a little bit. Okay. So the quote, I've got to get some seeds. Nothing's planted. I don't have a thing in the ground quote being Willie said it. I think because his father didn't leave anything behind for him that he didn't want to repeat that with his sons. So he needs to gather his seeds and he doesn't have a thing in the ground because he doesn't have a thing to leave them. So he wants to plant things. So after he's gone, it'll still be growing. You know, and I also think it was revealed that he continues to attempt suicide through, like, suffocation and driving a car off a bridge. And I think that shows his 
quite literally, I guess, his despairs in the world, even though he's he keeps trying to push this narrative that he loves his life and it's so good and he's so successful. And then, but this is the complete opposite of that. But that, like, that dichotomy and that contradiction, like, actually does live in everybody. Yeah. And it's, you, like, at the, while you're convincing yourself that you're happy, you're also, at the same time, realizing all of your unhappiness. Like, that really, you, you really do, everyone wrestles with that. And it's not something that you consciously think about, but you're conscious of the ways that you're happy and the ways of, that you're unhappy every second of every day. Do you think he, when he was writing this, he's like, this one, this is it. This is the play. Yeah. Okay. So uh, after that, <laughs> shall we <laughs> closing remarks? Shall we closing remarks? I think we shall. We've been talking very passionately about this excellent and important yeah, I'm like play. heated, but in a good way. I know. Me too. I like want to run for a while. <laughs> I don't, but I'll support you. I like want to hop on a treadmill. <laughs> um, so there was a moment to me that I thought was funny that Linda was saying a line to Willie and the stage direction was with infinite patience, which I think represents a certain woman, capital WTM experience of the time. Like that's a woman experience of now. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) It's yeah. It's really real. The way that, the way that she is, that she's so, that she's so patient, that she's so, forgiving even though the fact that she's like constantly walked all over like that's that's real i affirm you i affirm myself being affirmed sounds hot um i (laughs) you want to watch no i think i'll stick with just voices um (laughs) (laughs) so he's been trying i wrote this by the way i think he's been trying to sell this idea that he's really good at his job but he, I mean, he was searching for happiness through that, but his family was right there. You know, he was like stepping over them to try to get something else. And that's the death of the salesman. Yep. Literal, physical, metaphysical, metaphorical. Metatheatrical. Yeah. So I guess this is the end I guess of this so. episode. We'll be Thank back. <laughs> I guess this is the end of her. I gotta get my seeds. Listener, this is the end of your life. Oh my god. Um, I wanna thank you all for listening. If you did, that's cool. If you're a returning listener, hello hey. again. Thank you for coming back. If you want to keep up with us on Twitter, you can follow us at Highbrow Theater. Um we post some jokes. Some jokes, some real things, some, some uh, fancy things. Yeah. Just depends. Yeah, we do some tweets. Um <laughs> if you- if you liked the show, if you didn't like the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast publisher. We're on all bow, 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 Also, leave a review only if it's positive. Yeah, leave a review only if you like us. If you don't like us, just leave us alone. <laughs> <laughs> Let us be stupid whenever we want. And don't judge us for it, even if we wasted your time. Oh, sounds like good old time, though. Okay, but also, if, you, if you'd like to support our work, there is a link in the podcast description to open your purse. Yeah, open the... Okay, okay you ready? Let's high five. five. Ready? Ready?